Hey guys. Hey everybody. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Chase. And this is Crime with a K. With another bonus. B O N U S. Yeah. Bonus. I never know what to do after you do that. I know. It's pretty. It's pretty sad. It's pretty awkward on my. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> so hi, this was an unscheduled bonus that we kind of told you about last week, but I just love you so much. I wanted to give you another one. Yep. You know. So you're welcome. No. Okay. So coffee of the day. So this past weekend, Chase and I went down to Savannah. Georgia. Georgia. The ghosts. We fell in love. That place is freaking awesome. Chase said it's his favorite place he's ever been. Favorite city. It's my, yeah. It's what did very, you, you said it was your favorite something. It's like one of my favorite cities, yeah. Yeah. And we did a ghost tour. A1. Yeah. That was awesome. Nelson, shout out Nelson. Yes. If you go to Savannah Ghost Tours, ask for Nelson. He was so good. So good. A1. He's lived there his whole life. Some of the people on the tour were kind of mean to him, and I was kind of confused. But he was so cool. He he's was, lived there his whole life, and he's gotten to do a lot of cool stuff in that town. Like he's gotten to see the city just basically grow. Yeah, so cool. And he's been had a lot of interactions with ghosts that like made him really, I guess, more believe in it. Yeah, and there's a lot of ghosts. There's a lot of ghosts. So with that too, we want to do. I want to do an episode on savannah and the ghost tour that we did it was really interesting because it's not just ghosts it's like there's true crime stories that happened to create those ghosts so i think a really interesting episode to do would be a savannah true crime most haunted places because they're haunted because of things that have happened i know some people aren't into hauntings but all of what we learned like they have back true crime murders and things like that and unsolved and mystery and mysteries yes so coffee of the day we went to quite a few different i'd say places in savannah so i'll do coffee of the day we'll do maribel cafe we went there to get a waffle (laughs) because we wanted a midday waffle and they're like they have these really cool like we wanted a s'mores one and they stopped making them by the time that we went in there which is okay because it was like four o'clock, so I figured they probably <laughs> made it for breakfast. Yeah, it's fine. And not dinner. No. So I did get though an iced blackberry lemonade. Well, I guess all lemonade is iced, but a blackberry lemonade. I went to the Coffee Fox. No. Oh, you're doing a different one than me today. I didn't have coffee there. You had a lemonade. That's why oh my I picked God. that one today. <laughs> Why? Because I actually had a coffee there. Why would you pick the one place I didn't have a coffee at? The one time I had a coffee, you picked that one. That's so dumb. No. I forgot. Okay. (laughs) Okay, do the coffee fox. Yeah, so I went to the coffee fox, and I got, I don't remember, but I think it was like, oh, no, I do remember now. I went to the coffee fox, and I asked for a macchiato. This was tragic, by the way. And it took 20 minutes to get 
but no, it's, I, I it's, thought it's, I was going to get like a nice cup of coffee and like turn around and she called my name and I turned around and it is three <laughs> ounces. Three ounces. It took three sips. No, it took like one sip. I will say though, the three sips, I was moving and grooving the rest of the day, but I was like, my goodness. It I look like such an idiot walking around town. <laughs> it came in like a little shot cup. And it was like the one time Chase orders coffee, one, it takes so long for it to come out. And when it does come, it's this tiny, tiny little shot yeah. of coffee. And uh, there was 30 people there. <laughs> and they're like, counseling. And I walk right up there and grab my little ketchup packet. And I walk <laughs> out of there. He goes, when I saw that cup, my biggest fear was that they would call out your name and then they did it. Yeah, it was awful. But that was my coffee of the day. But the Coffee Fox used to be a tavern that the um, Sons of Liberty used to hang out at. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That was interesting. Yeah. Should I do mine for Coffee Fox? Or should I do it next time? Oh, okay. You don't get this. (laughs) I got my own coffee. They had Black Rifle there, too. It looked really good, but too bad we went to other places. Honestly, Savannah had a lot of really cool coffee shops I, we just couldn't drink that much coffee they had a lot of candy yeah a lot of coffee and obviously like seafood but it was such a cool town i mean it was such a cool city there's so much to do there yeah and it, it was like it was a lot of just like older people which is cool yeah and it was quiet very quiet just everyone's having a good time it was definitely but there was like you still had your younger crowd because we still saw a lot of bachelor and bachelorette trips yeah so it, it was a cool mix because they have like there's no open container laws you can walk around and drink so a lot of people go there for that but if you're into history and you're into learning about america's history but then also like spooky history that's it's a, awesome it's a really cool town to go to savannah is the coolest savannah we may be back for you yes today's episode a lot of you guys have been sending in cases and I kind of, when you send them in, I get two variations. I either get a case that I haven't heard of before and a lot of the listeners will respond and say, wow, I've never heard of that case before. I'd never heard of that, which is really cool. Again, I know I ask you guys for a lot of cases, but it's for that reason where these aren't cases that are going to come up when I Google like interesting true crime podcasts or interesting true crime stories. So we get those, but what we've gotten a lot of in the past month or two are serial killers so the next several cases are going to be serial killers i might mix some up but the listener requests have been heavy for serial killers all right let's get a poppin so what i thought would be interesting today is to walk through killer kids so a couple killer kid cases and the psychology of children who murder and children who kill Let's see it. Because when we look at serial killers, I think that there's this psychological aspect. Like, well, why didn't anybody know? And then just to preface, I'm not a psychiatrist. Or psycho... What's the... Psychologist. There you go. I'm neither. Okay, yeah, that one I took a couple classes on it, but I am in no way professional, and I am in no way diagnosing anybody in this. I took four semesters of psychology. So I'd say I was, I'm a C-plus professor. So you took four psychology classes? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I almost majored in it. Really? Because I loved the head professor so much, Dr. Mossler. Shout out Moss Daddy. Absolute goat. But okay. yeah, he was awesome. So yeah, his classes were so cool. They're yeah. all, they were always really interesting. Mm-hmm. I love psychology. Mm-hmm. 
It is. If you haven't taken a psychology class, I do recommend it because it is really interesting. Very cool. Yeah. As far back as the psychiatry of murder pretty much goes, psychiatrists have long debated whether or not it's nature or nurture that makes a kid, who's, I'd say, naturally innocent, capable of committing not only heinous crimes, but in pretty heinous ways. I think that when you think of a kid that's committed murder, your first thought is, well, where was that turning point? What made them do that? What clicked that made them all of a sudden capable? And how did they come up with this horrible way of doing this horrible action? And I think that you can even ask yourself that question for people like Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer, who would both go in the backyard and capture animals, decapitate them, dissect them, and essentially mutilate anything that they could find. Yeah. But then you'd go on to say that Jeffrey Dahmer and Ted Bundy were two of the most violent criminals in all of, I guess, American serial killer history. And then you'd kind of wonder, how did nobody see what they were doing as kids? How did nobody question that? How did nobody step in? Well, it's normally because the parents' stories were not always the most present. But... But... Chase counts ruins it once again. No, Chase, you actually just said what I was going to say next, is that I think... A lot of times that... I got one right? Yeah. Woohoo! The main assumption is that, oh, like something must have happened or the parents must not have been present. But if you actually take a look at a lot of these kids, their upbringing, their parents, their surroundings, some of them have lived a relatively normal or what you'd classify as a happy life. Okay. Yeah, I guess. So I'll ask you, do you think serial killers are born that way? Or do you think they are nurtured that way both oh i think it's both because i think it all just like it stems from the genes and like just the nature of your family and it just your your brain might not take right because of that but then at the same time because of that it's probably because of how your parents grew up or the nature of their life or how that ever was and it just trickles down and then of course like their parents probably tra- treated their parents a certain way and you learn how to be an adult based off of those surroundings so then they grow up in those surroundings so i think it's both so you think it's genetic but becomes genetic because of somebody's nurture in your family line yeah it's like genetic because of just the family line like that's you just again i'm not trying to like come at anyone's trap but, but like you're no you're watching like yellowstone cowboys are cowboys for centuries and centuries and but it's like it's in their blood to be strong, will, big-bodied dudes who can, like, ranch. It's like you're born to be a rancher. But at the same time, it's like that's how your life is. And, like, you can get pushed in those di- different directions because you see it in most cases with silly, even, mur- like, most just, like, basic just crazy murderers. It's just, like, you see it. It's something in the family. It's how you grew up. There was a traumatic event. It's, I think it's just how it is with everything. It's how you grew Like, I think it's both. I get that. I think that's how it is with everything in life. Yeah, honestly, I don't don't think there's a black or white answer. I agree. I think it's both. I think that sometimes there is no turning point. I think that you can be born a serial killer. I think that you can have a family who loves you and raises you right and does everything they can to be a happy, loving parent. But like sometimes the wires aren't wired correctly. And that's nobody's fault. It's not even that person's fault. The actions that they commit are their fault. But like, actually, you, where you see that the most, I think, is with um, school shootings. Really? Well, because like most of those times, how many times do the parents come out on national television and go, "Yeah, I saw him doing that." Right. Most of the time, it's I never saw him doing. I could yeah. never see him. I see that most of the time with those type of kids. Mm-hmm. Or even the Brian, um, the Brian oh, guy Brian from Ida- Iowa. I know. Or Idaho, because his dad was like. 
his dad was literally driving him and probably had no idea. So he's probably just like, my son's not a murderer, crazy yeah. murderer. Well, that's even, that's an interesting one too, because even his, I think that's a really, actually, that's a really good one because his sister has come out to say she suspected it was him and then got mad at herself to say, no, that, what, no, what's, that wouldn't be him. How could I think right? that that's Isn't him? That like, weird? and she is a normal person and he has normal parents, but he is cuckoo. Allegedly, <laughs> we don't want to get sued. He's allegedly a cuckoo, cuckoo person. Yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. allegedly cuckoo. <laughs> so the first case, and this isn't about serial killers. It's just interesting to talk about serial killers and then kids who kill. Because why didn't Ted Bundy kill as a kid? Why didn't Jeffrey Dahmer kill as a kid? You know. Well, didn't Jeffrey? Well, I didn't. Re- I trust me. I, I'm not gonna lie. I've not watched one episode of a documentary of Ted Bundy. I have not kept up with Ten Bundy. Yes. I honestly just never did. I don't know why. I just was like, eh. I watched a little bit of You. I bet that kind of reminded me of Ten Bundy because I guess it was the same actor. I don't know. But. Oh, no. Or is that Zach Efron? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. See, that's what I'm saying with Ten Bundy. But, like, with Ted Bundy, I, maybe it was because, like, with Ten Bundy, it, what made him become so successful was because of his looks and charm. And I feel like at a certain, you can't do that at 14. Really? I would say you can because you're a kid. But I'm 14 years old. What am I going to charm a woman with? Yo, come back and let's go play some Xbox, baby. No. And let me, let's go ride on my bike. <laughs> no, but you could be like, ow, missus, I cut my knee. And then... Step, step, step. Well, like, you could... Like, you could... I feel like... Okay, I feel like you could ask for help and, no, as I'm a not, kid. No, I'm not they, uh, agreeing. There's some, psych, there's some messed up children out there. I was just saying with Ted Bundy, I feel like why he didn't kill as a kid was because he waited till he got sexy. The first case, during the winter of 1871, so grab your coat, we're going to Massachusetts. Again. We're going to Charleston, Massachusetts. Jesse Pomeroy was 11 years old and became, and is still today, America's youngest serial killer. How old? Um, 11. What were you doing at 11? Me? Yeah. Playing soccer and... No, like, honestly, what grade? I don't remember what grade we were in at 11, so, like, what were we doing at 11? Fifth grade. We're all in fifth grade. Or, like, you're going into sixth grade. Some kids might be 11 and going into six. I was 11 in fifth grade because my birthday is September. So I was always... A year behind? A year. Though, no, like, the right, I guess, like, the entire year I was the right age. Okay, so, okay, I was probably fifth grade. Yeah, and, like, that's when I was, like, just remembering. I was like, I want to be like Justin Bieber. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to get all the girls and go to the bowling alley. <laughs> I Yeah, I was like, I'm going to talk to Dan tomorrow at recess. And then I'd get all nervous. And then yeah. I would, like, not do that. Yeah, my biggest, like, wow moment was, like, back then was, like, at that age, I was about to not stop wearing my helmet <laughs> yeah. while riding my bike. Well, this is a big deal. Jesse Palmer was killing people. Yeah, I know. So on December 22nd, 1871, the son of Mrs. Payne of Chelsea, Massachusetts, which is nestled right there next to Charlestown, was persuaded by an unknown boy who looked to be about 12 years old and taken to Powderhorn Hill near Boston. The boy, the son, was then stripped naked, tied to a beam, and beaten with a rope until he became unconscious. The older boy then disappeared. A rope? Yep. That's one way to do it. On February 12th, 1872, Tracy Hayden was taken to the same place, Powderhorn Hill, by a boy of the same description and underwent similar torture that the pain boy endured. Tracy was also struck across the face with a board, which broke his nose and knocked out several of his teeth. Holy shit. So neither of those two died. They were just tired. But who found them? People in the town. Oh my god. 
Then, on July 4th, 1872, a boy named Johnny Balch was similarly enticed by a boy, again matching the description and taken to the same setting where the torture had been occurring. He endured a similar style of torture and fell unconscious. However, when the boy came to, his captor forced him to a nearby saltwater creek and washed his wounds with salt water. What the hell? In September of 1872, a child named Robert Gould was persuaded by again a boy matching the description and accompanied him to the Hartford and Erie Railroad track, where the boy was then tied to a telegraph pole, stripped, beaten, and cut on the head with a knife. A few days later, a boy named Harry Austin met a boy in South Boston, aka Southie, where he was stripped, bound, and then punctured with pins until he fell unconscious. What the hell? So this person's escalating. It's getting escalating. worse. Yeah, it's getting mm-hmm. worse and worse. A few days later, the sixth child, named George Pratt, was persuaded into the cabin of a yacht in South Boston. And after, he was bound and stripped. He was then beaten and stabbed in the back and the groin with a pen knife. About a week later, Joseph Kennedy was enticed into a secluded spot on Old Colony Road in South Boston, where he was tortured the exact same way as George Pratt. After this, many young boys were arrested, but were discharged as there was not enough evidence to convict any of them, and Boston police weren't certain who the perpetrator was. Like, at this point, I'm hoping every parent is locking all their kids in. Mm Mm-hmm. And stop talking to strangers. Even boys. How? (laughs) Even boys. And he, yes. I'm just saying, like, stop talking. Just tell my kids stop talking to people. However, shortly after this, suspicion fell on an 11 year old boy named Jesse Pomeroy, who lived with his widowed mom, who was also a dressmaker. They were poor, and they lived on Broadway Street, between D and E Streets in South Boston. When they brought Jesse in, several of the children that had been tortured positively identified him, and it was hoped that because of this, he would be sentenced to serve the remainder of his minority, so until he was 18, in the Westboro Reform School. Back then, if the young boys were sentenced to this school and they showed a change in behavior and essentially proved that they could do better and provided upon release that they'd be good, then they'd be released back to their home if the home was good or go to a new home. That was, that's, I, I, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And at this point, he, like, nobody had killed. He hadn't killed anybody. Which was also, like, pretty, in, did he think he was going to get caught? Because you didn't kill anyone, so they all remembered what you looked like. You didn't wear anything. I think at that time for him, it was, because how he was pushing the envelope each time, he would try something experimenting. new. Experimenting. Yeah, I think it was experimenting and seeing, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's. So weird, though. They scream like that. Oh, that makes them unconscious. And to us, it's like, bro, that's, what is happening? You're literally testing life, people. Yeah. Stop it. Jesse was sentenced to the school and was released in 1874. However, unfortunately, on March 8, 1874, John Curran, who lived in the same neighborhood as Jesse Pomeroy, called the police, or maybe didn't call because there were tele- there was no telephones, but he told the police that his 10-year-old daughter had, a letter. had mysteriously disappeared. He ran outside and started shouting. <laughs> <laughs> and there was no cars or anything, so it was just like you could hear them. There was no horns or beeping. It was just like, horses. What is this guy and, freaking yeah. out about? Golly. The only evidence of what had happened was a statement they received saying that they saw a girl with a description similar to that of John Curran's daughter enter a buggy with a strange man. It was noted that the girl was very pretty and well-developed, which I know they don't mean that in a weird, creepy way, but it's just like strange it does sound, how it's no, it yeah, does, written does, that way. You look well-developed. Um, <laughs> thank like, you. <laughs> appreciate that but because of this the caller said it looked like a case of abduction because of this statement the case was made along these lines and tailored to this clue 
Now, on April 22nd, 1874, the body of a four-year-old boy named Horace Mullen was found in a marsh in Dorchester, which is south of Boston. The boy's body was horribly mutilated, with his head being almost completely severed from his body. Oh, my God. And his body had 31 knife wounds. Well, that's a little extreme mm-hmm. from little cuts and pokes. And pins. Since this incident took place in a similar area as all the other previous children's torture, investigators immediately suspected Jesse Pomeroy. When Jesse was taken into custody, he had a knife in his possession and there was blood on the blade near the handle. But the rest of the blade was clean. He had mud on his shoes, which was similar to that of the marshy area where Horace Mullen was found. So the man just didn't even take the time to clean up? No, he Got just tired. cleaned the knife. Okay. There were footprints that could be easily traced through the marshlands exactly to the spot where Horace Mullen's body was found. And plaster casts were made of the footprints, and it was discovered that they not only fit every single aspect of Jesse's shoes, but it was seen that the way these footprints were basically walked was the exact same way that Jesse walked. Yeah, so basically, yeah, it's Jesse. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Jesse. (laughs) It feels like a party every day. (laughs) Wait, is that actually the words? What song are you singing? Jesse from... The Disney Channel. Yeah, that's the words. (laughs) I didn't know anything after that. Feels like a party every day. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Jesse. Feels like a murder every day. Hey, Jesse. You're a creepazoid at 11 years old. You've got some problems in your head. So on top of this, there was other circumstantial evidence that was shared, like Jesse's whereabouts, and then Jesse was taken into the room where the child's body lay. The following is the conversation that took place between Jesse Pomeroy and the police officer. Okay. The police officer said, do you know this boy? And Jesse said, yes, sir. And the police officer said, did you kill him? And Jesse Pomeroy says, I suppose I did. And then the officer says, how did you get the blood off the knife? <laughs> no, jeez. We're not doing it like a script. <laughs> Why? And then Jesse Pomeroy says, I stuck it in the mud. Oh, could have had a little back and forth. A little banter. After a psychiatric examination, it was found that Jesse Pomeroy was perfectly sane, but was naturally a fiend and derived pleasure from torturing other. That's not <laughs> sane. <laughs> No, dude, he's totally cool, bro. He's totally cool, but he just might poke you in the head with a pen. But totally cool, bro. He's just fiending to stab you in the neck. Yeah, he's totally cool, dude. I swear. I swear. The only reason he selected children was because he had the physical ability to force them to do as he wanted and could overpower them. See, that's what I'm saying. Imagine if you told that to, like, the fifth grade teacher at orientation. Like... What? My son, he's really nice, such a sweet kid. He just might want to murder one of you by like <laughs> by third period. But the psychiatrist says but he's he's, go, he's totally fine. He'll just keep all the sharp barbers just got to his hand. Okay, bye. In July of 1874, the Pomeroy's landlord sold the property where the family resided. The new owner decided to do some renovations, and as laborers began to excavate the cellar, at about 5 p.m. on July 18th, they found the decomposed remains of a little girl buried under a pile of ashes and stones. Hmm. Mr. and Mrs. Curran viewed the remains, and while the features of the body were not recognizable, they identified the clothing as that of their daughter who'd gone missing. It came out that Jesse had been seen with the little girl, and he ended up confessing that he did murder her, and then he buried her body. Okay. 
On December 10th, 1874, Jesse Pomeroy was convicted on the charge of murdering the Mullen child and was sentenced to be hanged. An appeal was taken to the Supreme Court, which sustained the lower court on February 12th, 1875. Governor Gaston refused to sign the death warrant because of the extreme youth of the murderer, Jesse Pomeroy. His successor, Governor Rice, also refused for the same reason. And on August 31st, 1876, Jesse Pomeroy's sentence was commuted to solitary confinement for the remainder of his life. He made frequent attempts to escape, but ended up always failing. No way. In some mysterious manner, Jesse Pomeroy obtained an explosive. (laughs) Wait, what? Which he placed near the door of his cell. But when the explosion occurred, it did more damage to him than it did to the door. That is insane. That's like someone sneaking a grenade into a prison Mm -hmm. and blowing up the door. No way. Quote, Notwithstanding the fact that Jesse Pomeroy has been in solitary confinement for 33 years, he has developed into a powerful man, and in 1909, he was enjoying perfect health. As he is seldom permitted to receive visitors, he devotes nearly all of his time to reading and studying and has become a highly educated man. So he died in prison. Mm, Well, damn. That's nuts that he somehow found explosives and tried to blow himself out Mm -hmm. at 11 years old. It's wild. Then he was like, I'm just actually going to read. Yeah, actually, I'm done with the grenades. You know what? I tried just to blow myself book. up once. <laughs> I think I'm just going to go to the books. Bookworm. So this is the next case. Jasmine Richardson was 12 years old and lived with her parents, Mark and Deborah Richardson, and her eight-year-old brother. She was known as an ordinary teenager and was known as happy and social. She had dark brown hair, brown eyes, and a really happy smile. She was doing well in school and got along great with those in her class. She had a conventional upbringing and a family who loved her. Then she met 23-year-old Jeremy Stanky. Stanky? He is Stanky, but we'll call him. It's Stanky. Stanky. The two began an intimate relationship, which, barf, at that point, Jeremy, you're a pedophile. She's 12 years old. That's so gross. And he's 23. So gross. That's, like, so gross on so many levels. Yeah. Jeremy also goes by the name Jackson May now because oh. he wants a new identity. Makes out a lot of sense. I will be calling him Jeremy. Jeremy the douchehead. Jeremy was a dark type of person. And what I mean by that is he was, I don't want to say goth because I don't think that he was goth, but he wore heavy black all around his eyes. He dressed in all black in chains and spikes. He didn't believe in smiling. And his motto was, quote, movies make me murder. He didn't believe in smiling? How is that even a thing? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't believe in it. So nothing, not one smile for anything in your life. Like, nothing. Not a little puppy. Not like a... Even if, like, you like the death part. Like, not even a smile at that. Nope. No smile. No smiling. You didn't... I'm surprised you didn't say anything about the movies make me murder. I don't know. Video games can make you murder. But, like, no smiling. At least, like, murder or smile when they do it. This guy's like, no! No, but he lived by the motto of movies make me murder. And no smiling. And no smiling. (laughs) I don't know what was happening in 2006 where these psychos were committing murders in the name of Hollywood because in... 2006 was also the Cassie one with the scream murder. Oh. Cassie. Oh, gosh. I'm blanking on her last name. But the scream murder that happened. Jeremy also claimed to be a, quote, 300-year-old werewolf. Been there. He wore a blood-filled vial around his neck. 
And so once the two started dating, Jasmine's behavior began to really change. I couldn't assume why. And not for the better. <laughs> I can understand why. It's she, all correlating. <laughs> she also began wearing heavy makeup to hide the fact that she was so young, and it was very, very dark makeup. Which, again, I have no issue with dark makeup. It's just when we talk about it in these cases. And also cases. when you're trying to hide your identity because you know yeah. it's wrong. And it's when gross. you're a 12-year-old girl. It's gross. And he's a 23-year-old pedophile man. Being Gross. Jasmine also began claiming to be a, quote, Wiccan and nocturnal and insane online. This took place in 2006, so again, it's around that MySpace time. That is nuts how you can just, like, become nocturnal. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Just don't go to bed one night. (laughs) Yep, just ride it out. So Jeremy and Jasmine had very different upbringings. Jeremy was bullied daily at home, and he was subject to constant abuse by his mom's partner, who was an abusive alcoholic. Well, that's not fun. No. When Jasmine's parents found out about the couple's relationship, Mark and Deborah Richardson banned Jasmine from dating Jeremy. And because of this, Jasmine decided that murder was the only answer in the only way that the couple could now be together. No way. Yeah. Gotta let the werewolves run free. So people... <laughs> so people... Took you that long. <laughs> I had started reading my next part. So people ultimately believed that Jeremy was initially the one who came up with the plan to murder Jasmine's entire family. But it was actually Jasmine, and she first brought it up in an email, and she told all her friends that she had plans to kill her parents. Hey guys, hope you guys are having a good weekend. Um, probably going to kill my parents. Um, hope you guys are all having a good time. Please, uh, you know, TTYL RSVP to this so we can have a good little group chat. Why? Love you. Mwah. Her, e- like <laughs> her email said, quote, I have this planned. It begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you. Oh, okay. Mine was a little more positive. Yeah. Jeremy's blog post said, quote, My lover's rents are totally unfair. They say that they really care. They don't know what's going on. They just assume. They can't understand what it's like to be a werewolf. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Jeremy wrote that on his blog in April of 2006. He then said, quote, Their throats I want to slit. Finally, there shall be silence. Their blood shall be payment. Oh, I mean, like, honestly, I'm kind of making fun of it, but at the real time, I'm going to, like, he did it, so. She did it. Yeah, that's kind of wild. Jeremy, I'm going to ask you to shut. Jeremy, how werewolf of you to make your woman do all the work? <laughs> like, dude, you're a puss wolf. That's what you are. You're no alpha. You're a beta. You're a little, yeah, you're a little beta den wolf. <laughs> the couple planned out the murders, watched the movie Natural Born Killers, which is about a young couple that turns into serial killers, and then they went over to Jasmine's... Oh my god, so they really like watched like murder born. Yeah. Okay. Then they went over to Jasmine's house where they murdered her mom, dad, and eight-year-old brother. Why the kid? My golly. The it's ne- so annoying. And that's your own fucking family? Yeah. How twisted is that? Mm-hmm. The next day, after the murder, a neighbor visited the house for a play date with Jasmine's brother and saw a body on the ground through the window. The mom of the neighbor called the police... And police came and found that Deborah and Mark Richardson had been stabbed to death in the basement. And Jasmine's eight-year-old brother, Jacob, had his throat slit in his bedroom. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it wasn't even like... No, it was gruesome. In the beginning, police didn't suspect that Jasmine could be the suspect. They actually believed that she'd been kidnapped or murdered in a different location. Makes sense. However, once police obtained evidence from the house, specifically Jasmine's bedroom, she was identified as the main subject. Police had learned that she'd run away with her 23-year-old boyfriend. And remember, she's 12. That's so wild. Like I said That's when I... That's so wild. 
just to put it into perspective, like Chase and I talked about how, what we were doing when we were 11. I was playing soccer and crushing on boys and giving $20 to go to the mall and buy Chinese food and see the movies with my friends. Yeah, like, like it was so innocent. So young. The couple was quickly tracked down and arrested. Jasmine was convicted in 2007 of three counts of first-degree murder and began a 10-year sentence at a psychiatric hospital. In 2011, a judge ruled that she be allowed to live out a life in the community. No way. Yeah. No way. Yep. Jeremy was sentenced to three life sentences on each of the three and counts. And of course he's gone for life and yeah. he didn't even kill him. Of, I know. Of first-degree murder. The sentences are to be served concurrently and he will be eligible for parole after serving 25 years and was sentenced in 2008. So that's going to be 2053. That's nuts wait. that she's out after a certain... Wait, wait. 20, 2008 plus 25. I do not think that that's... that's... 33. <laughs> that's 2033. Oh my God, baby. I wasn't even thinking about that, but that's bad math. You added 40 years on top of that. Which he should have gotten. Yeah, I know. I was Watch, I think I just said 40 years. I think it's only like 20 years. We're both idiots. Yeah, we're just such fucking idiots. Whatever. It's okay. What we're I, here to talk about crime, not math. <laughs> I tell you guys, when Chase says I didn't graduate, I almost didn't graduate high school, it's because I was no, bad Oh at my math. God, no. Kelsey, like when she uttered to me her GPA, I honest to God thought she was kidding. I, I honestly didn't, didn't take her seriously. But, but it's Kel- because of math. Kelsey, it was honestly mind boggling to me. It was mind boggling to me. I was like, no way I'm dating someone who didn't graduate high school or barely I did passed, graduate barely high school. Passed. <laughs> barely passed your attendance grade is what saved you no i know it was math i only had bad grades in math don't don't believe me don't believe me i'm the star she's the star <laughs> she would have been a star without a degree but here we are boy so in canada a 12 12 is the youngest possible age at which a person can be charged with a crime Convicts who were under 14 years of age at the time they committed a crime cannot be sentenced as adults and cannot be given more than a 10-year sentence. So that's why she was given what she was given. Oh, makes sense. On July 9th, 2007, Jasmine was found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder. And then on November 8th, 2007, that's when she was sentenced to the maximum penalty of the 10 years imprisonment. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. In September of 2011, Jasmine was a freshman at the University of Calgary wow. and is in the final year of her sentence. She became free after she graduated in 2015. That's nuts. Jasmine Richardson is believed to be the youngest person ever convicted of a multiple murder in Canada. Jeremy Steinke admitted to the murder of the parents in conversation with an undercover police officer while in custody. Oh, it's good of him. Smart. Mm-hmm. Attaboy. Yep. I did those two cases because I thought that that was pretty interesting. Just two very different dynamics. One who was basically talked into doing it and then un- like groomed into doing it. And then another one who just was. I know. One was nature and one was nurture. And it's both. Mm-hmm. Like the yin and yang. That is crazy to be so young. But then again, it's like, is it so crazy? Because at that age, if you just know, like maybe understand that killing might isn't like in your eyes the craziest thing at 12 you might just not understand what that is what murder yeah like we were like oh my god how could a 12 year old do that but like maybe they don't like i don't think i'd process a death the same way as i would in today like as i'm 25 years old as i do when i'm 12 or understand the consequences or understand what the now i'm not saying that i didn't know what right or wrong is i was gonna say because but if you like at that age i can see what i'm saying is when i'm like "Ah, i don't know how you could do that i could at 12 
because it's a lot easier to fall into something because you're so young and it's so easy just to at that age you you basically suck up any knowledge and anything you see from other people and friends and like this girl she was obsessed with this 23 year old she wanted anything to do with him he thought death was cool she didn't look at it to slit your own brother's throat yeah it's pretty twisted so like you have to really not look at death as something like as crazy as more as like to you i think that these two cases are very different because one i think you know he jesse Palmeroy was born a certain way jasmine richardson i still think there has to be something there because she, she was definitely groomed by Jeremy, a thousand percent. But again, I don't, I don't necessarily think everybody who's groomed is capable of slitting their brother's brother's throat. throat. Like that's pretty wild. Yeah, there's still. I mean, who has knows to be what something. that guy said to her, or like how deep it got, or right, like because maybe at twelve years old he just made her believe that death was a a good thing, and you're doing a good thing by doing that. Jumping back to the psychology aspect of this. So psychiatrists do look at all of these kids who commit these murders and these crimes. And what psychiatrists did find through all of these kids are high rates of neuropsychological abnormalities, poor impulse control, school failure, and truancy, which is the act of staying away from school. So stay in school, kids. (laughs) Quote, most have experienced severe family adversities, domestic violence, neglect, child abuse, substance misuse, maternal depression, and absence of fathers. Because homicide by children is so rare, this is still the quote, because homicide by children is so rare, population approaches to prevention are not realistic. But the evidence, though limited, is that with good care and psychiatric treatment, the children do well and do not reoffend later in life. This fact should govern the way that we are treated by the criminal justice system. That is so crazy, though. Like, do you, would, like, as a, as a, like, okay, like, this girl, this girl right here. Say you're Yeah, say you're a boss of a company or something. She's now graduated. She's out. She's went to school. She has an education. Now she's applying to a job. Do you hire her? Like, and I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm asking, like, everybody. I'm asking people on here. Because you they're saying, what a psychiatrist is saying, is that she should be able to be a functioning human being in society. And that if with the proper help. She can be normal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Would you hire her? And that's where I see the hard part with like, is like, do, is she okay? Like, do you, because the psychiatrist might say it, but would you ever put yourself in that put void? Would you ever stay in a building with her alone well, at the end like, of the day? Would you close the shop with her? Would you risk it and put your, potentially put yourself yeah. and everyone around you? You ever going to bring your situation? kid around her? Right. Hell no. <laughs> I'm just, I'll answer. Hell no. Hell no. You ain't getting nowhere near my kids. There's no... I want to put you 500 feet from school. Well, I think the thing is, is like, it's not a mistake, right? Like, it's not something that you go, all right, you live and learn a lot of those things. And you go, yeah, that was bad. That was horrible. That was a misjudgment on my part. I learn. I get it. This is not that. You've taken people's lives in a brutal... But then you have a psychiatrist, a trained person that goes, no, they can live normal lives. You give them a chance, they can live a normal life. Okay, that's fine. But like... And as a parent... Who do you trust? As a parent, you want that for your kid. Right, but I'm not putting my kid near that. 
Yeah, it's just, that's where I'm just like, it's a very, that's a very hard line. Mm -hmm. So a sociopath is defined as, quote, a person with a personality disorder manifesting itself in extreme antisocial attitudes and behavior and a lack of conscience. Doctors don't officially diagnose people as psychopaths or sociopaths. They use different terminology instead, one of them being antisocial personality disorder as the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Most experts believe that psychopaths and sociopaths share a similar set of traits. People like this have poor inner sense of right and wrong. They also can't seem to understand or share another person's feelings. But there are some differences too. A key difference between a psychopath and a sociopath is whether he has a conscience or she. The little voice inside our head that lets us know when we're doing something wrong. A psychopath doesn't have a conscience. If he lies to you, and when I say he, I'm like he or she. If they lie to you, if they steal your money, they won't feel any moral qualms, though they may pretend to. They may observe others and then act the way they do so that they're not, quote, found out. And a sociopath typically has a conscience, but it's weak. They may know that taking your money is wrong and they might feel some guilt or remorse, but that's not going to stop their behavior. Yeah, they, have a, there's, they need it more than you. Yeah. Both lack empathy. Both lack the ability to stand in someone else's shoes and understand how they feel. But a psychopath has less regard for others. Someone with this personality type sees others as objects that they can use for their own benefit. Yeah. They're not always violent. So in movies and TV shows, psychopaths and sociopaths are usually the villains who kill or torture innocent people. In real life, some people with antisocial personality disorder can be violent, but most aren't. And instead, they use manipulation and reckless behavior to get what they want. Quote, at worst, they're cold, calculating killers. Like the 23-year-old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. But just because a person is mean or selfish, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have a disorder. And just because somebody has antisocial personality disorder doesn't mean that they're a killer or that they're violent or that they're going to do something bad. It's not easy to spot a psychopath. They can be intelligent, charming, and good at mimicking emotions, and they may pretend to be interested in you, but in reality, they do not care. Quote, they're skilled actors whose sole mission is to manipulate people for personal gain. Sociopaths are less able to play along. They make it plain and simple that they're not interested in anybody but themselves, and they often blame others and have excuses for their behavior. Some experts see sociopaths as, quote, hot-headed, and they act without thinking how others will be affected. Psychopaths are more, quote, cold-hearted and calculating. They carefully plot their moves and they use aggression in a planned out way to get what they want. If they're after more money or status in the office, for example, they'll make a plan to take out any barriers that stand in their way, even if it's another person's job or reputation. Recent research suggests that a psychopath's brain is not like other people's. It may have physical differences that make it hard for the person to identify someone else's distress. And the differences can even change basic body functions. For example, when most people see blood or violence in a movie, their hearts beat faster, their breath, their, their breath, their breath, their breathing, the breath. <laughs> their breathing quickens, and their palms get sweaty. A psychopath typically has the opposite reaction. They get calmer, and they say that the quality helps psychopaths be fearless and engage in risky behavior. Quote, they don't fear the consequences of their own actions. Nope. So that's it. 
I thought that this would be kind of a different episode than what we've been doing. And with all of the serial killer episodes we're about to do, I thought it would be interested to hear some child killer cases and then some psychology there. Yeah, I like that. Good job. Was that interesting? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry if it wasn't. We won't do we won't do things like that all the time, but I just thought as a bonus and with all the episodes coming up that may be a little bit interesting. And I too struggle sometimes with like sociopath, psychopath, so sometimes I like that reminder. Yeah. We can talk about it more as we go into them. Yeah. And I thought it would be interesting too to hear the two cases of one's nature and one's nurture and can wind up a killer either way. A socio-killer. socio-killer. Well, that is all for this episode, and I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, you can follow us on Instagram at... Crime with a K. If you want to send us a case, you can actually send it to... Instagram at Crime with a K. Because I know you guys have asked that, so yes, you can send them there. And gmail, gmail.com um, with Crime with a K. Crime with a K. If you want to follow us on TikTok, you can follow us at... Crime with a K. Which... I tried to go live at NASCAR when we went, when Chase didn't took work. me. It didn't work. Um, but we do want to go live at some point. I'm a little scared, but <laughs> we'll try it. And other than that, we love you so much, and we'll see you on Monday. Peace out. Bye. Bye.